Welcome back, everybody. We continue to roll along. Gary Rima, longtime voice of UNI, is our guest. The Panthers uh, trying to get all their ducks in a row in recruiting and for both basketball and football. And uh, Gary, we'll let him plug his Court Kings uh, thing here uh, near the end, so don't let me forget that, partner. It's good to have you on the show, Gary. How's everything? Hey, things are good, guys. And, you know, with spring football underway, things are looking good. I think on the the football front, we got that 11th game scheduled, which was really uh, becoming a, a, a bit of a concern, I think, for a lot of the fan base. And even I, in talking with Athletic Director David Harris, he said he was about as stressed out over that as anything since becoming UNI's athletic director. But they got that non-conference home game they wanted. Uh, it is an FCS opponent. That's good basketball just uh you know announced their late signing period and and the four guys they're bringing in are are tremendous they still got a scholarship or two to work with if they want to find one more guy for next season or maybe it's a a top high school kid best high school kid left out there that they could possibly register but I, i i really like the way this basketball roster is shaping up after a couple of guys have decided to leave the program juan mcleod steps away He's our starting point guard the last couple of years, and Tanner Lowhouse has decided he's going to pick up the baseball and, and try and play baseball at the collegiate level, walking away from basketball. So, uh, you know, there were some holes to fill, and I think the coaching staff did a pretty good job, Jimmy B. Plugging the holes and building things, and, and what a talk about a couple of the guys out there, and, and certainly uh, one of the latest was a guy that I'm certainly intrigued by, Trey Burrow, who uh, had a great Freshman season out at Pepperdine, playing in the WCC, a six-five-six-six guard. You talk about about a backcourt. Now he'll have to sit out this season, but him and AJ Green, six-four-six-six in there. Uh, that's some height for the MVC in, in the backcourt. Burrow really shot it well his freshman season at Pepperdine. You couple that out of the freshman season that they just uh, picked out out of Taiwan Pickford. Things are looking very good in that backcourt. Uh, backcourt in the future of the backcourt. Yeah, it really is TC and. And uh, Kyle Green was was on uh, Trey Burhow hard, trying to get him to come to UNI out of high school. He decided to follow one of his AAU teammates uh, out to Pepperdine. You're right, he had a great true freshman season. Started 28 of 30 games, averaged nearly 11 points a game, led the team in three-pointers made, 40% from the arc, uh, an outstanding talent. He, He was one of the five finalists for Mr. Basketball in the state of Minnesota in 2017, a senior year. So quality kid, quality player, and a, and a good addition to this Panther basketball team moving forward. Now, you're right, he's, he's planning on redshirting next year because he hasn't redshirted yet, and in that D1 transfer rule, you've got to sit out a year. But let's keep in mind, I talked about this the other day, there is some talk about possibly allowing players to transfer one time and be eligible to play right away and especially mm-hmm. if it has to do with the coaching change. And the coach that he went to play for out at Pepperdine got fired. And in comes Lorenzo Romar. Uh, Trey decided he didn't want to stay at Pepperdine. There could be a situation by by next fall, if that rule passes, maybe he's eligible to play right away. Now, he mm-hmm. still might redshirt. He still might redshirt, and maybe that's the route the coaching staff's going to go. But remember, there's a lot of talk about allowing Division One basketball players, especially if there's a coaching change, a coach leaves for a better job, a different job, a coach gets fired, 
they may pass that rule this later this spring or summer that they allow a D1 player to play right away in that situation. So keep an eye on that. Gary, let me just kind of follow up with that. With that rule, I mean, look, on the surface, it looks great for the kids. Would schools, meaning coaches or athletic directors, get upset about that if so many kids then started to move? Well, I, I do think it could become a problem, uh, Jimmy B. I don't think there's any doubt about that. I, I, all you have to do is look at what happened when Geno Ford was fired at Bradley and in comes Brian Wardle. There was mass exodus off that team for a number of reasons. There were only about three guys, four guys left that were scholarship players uh, Wardle's first year. He had to go out and recruit a bunch of true freshmen and play a bunch of freshmen. Now they're better now because those kids are juniors, but you know, I, I, and, and that's got to be a concern. But the, the big talk out there across NCAA administration and, and people involved is that if coaches are allowed to leave their contract for a better job, then why can't a player do a similar thing? It's these coaches that are getting paid a lot of big money. The, the, a lot of players go play for a certain coach because of his style. And, and when that coach leaves, shouldn't that player be able to, to look around and, and and what they're saying is possibly allowing you a one-time transfer with immediate eligibility i'm not crazy about it jimmy beak because i i think there's going to be recruiting during the season i, I mean i could see some team could you imagine uh it, you know some of those loyola players that you know crutwig and some of those guys i, I gotta believe there'd be some big time programs trying to reach out to him saying hey you can transfer one time how about coming and playing in the big 12 or the big 10 i I'm not crazy about it, but I'm just I'm just putting it out there that that it may be a, if that rule does get approved and passes, you may see a guy like Trey Burhau leave Pepperdine. He's coming to you and I. Maybe maybe could play right away next year, or maybe he's still red shirts. Speaking of next year, uh, it's going to be a different look team. Are, are we going to see? You know, Villanova is kind of fashioned the four guard offense, and we've seen a lot of that throughout the years. Is there a likelihood, if you consider maybe Pickford to be almost your four at times, could you see the Panthers go with a lot of four-guard lineups and then whoever it is in the middle, if we get to see a little bit out of Justin Dahl, if Austin Fife continues his development? Do you expect that to be part of maybe the conversation for Coach Jake and the staff this offseason? Absolutely, TC. And, and I don't know if it's so much modeled after what Loyola did, but yeah. you know, Coach Jacobson always likes to play a three-guard lineup and, and it, you know, Isaiah Brown's a six seven kid that some people might say, well, you know, he's a forward. He could be a power forward, but he's not really built like Clint Carlson or mm-hmm. some other guys that play that four spot. But if Isaiah Brown is your four at six seven, and the way he defended at the end of this last season, yeah, and he comes in listed as a guard, you're looking at a four-guard lineup, I think, with A.J. Green, Wyatt Lowhouse, Taiwan Pickford, and Isaiah Brown and and Spencer Haldeman, a guy that's going to rotate in in that mix from a, a one to two position. But yeah, I, I think I think there's definitely a, a four guard type lineup, especially with with Austin Fife really the main center back. I think Luke McDonald's a guy that's going to play some next year, and he could play some at the four. He's six nine, but he's you know he's not a a real thick built strong kid. He's he's still a little bit on the thin side, but. He could play that four spot, but I, I do think there's going to be times you're going to see a, a, a four-guard lineup with a center on the floor for you and I, and, and, and 
speaking of Loyola, I think it worked pretty well for them yeah. last year. And uh, I think this Panther team could do some similar things. Now, when you're, when you're in the Missouri Valley Conference, I think that can be very effective uh, just because the league doesn't always have a lot of big men. They may have one good center, but there's not always that big four-man to go with him. Or you've got, you've got a couple of guys that are 6'5", six, 6'6", six, six, play in that four spot, and that's a tough guard sometimes for, for a, a bigger power-forward type player. So it works. You get out of conference, maybe it won't or, or won't be as effective as you'd like, but Loyola proved that it does work. And I think it, I think it poses some matchup problems, guys. When you face some of those power uh, six conference teams out of the Big Ten or the Big 12 and, and they've got that bigger lineup, sometimes that, that four-guard lineup that, that the Panthers or a team like Loyola uses, that can be a tough guard for that opposition, and we saw that work effectively for the Ramblers. Gary Rima is our guest on the Big Talker 1700. Gary, quickly to the Loyola situation. Look, everybody was amazed. Sister Jean became a star, even throughout the first pitch for the Cubs game. Uh, Porter Mosier now has put that school on the map does that impact other teams in the valley conference in in other words now does porter mosier at loyola because of the run they had and everything else that circulated around that team with sister jean etc does he have a leg up now on all of the other coaches in the valley to recruit top talent well and i think that's something we're going to find out jimmy b i think a lot of people the year uh, when you and I went to the Sweet 16 in, in 2010 and beat Kansas, I think a lot of people there thought, okay, look out. Now the recruits are really going to start coming in for you and I. And, and there were some guys. Deion Mitchell's a guy that said he came to you and I because of what, what he saw out of the Panthers in that run. Now, it's really in the hands now of Porter Mosier. The, 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 I think the advantage that he has is right in the city of Chicago. There's some tremendous talent. And, and I was listening to a talk show out of the Chicago area after their run, and a lot of people were, were saying, you know, a few years ago, nobody was considering going to Loyola to play, and he go, and now it's Loyola that's they're they're the king of the hill. It's not DePaul, it's not Northwestern, it's not some of those schools in Chicago that that you thought maybe a player would consider going to out of the city. Now it's Loyola that's got the upper hand, so it's in Porter Mosier and his staffs hands to go out and get those top recruits and and I, you know I, I think they're going to do pretty well I think they're going to find some really quality guys that will come in there I think Clayton Custer and some of those guys that transferred in with Crutwig going there as a true freshman and having the success he had they they've got a great opportunity to to find some quality players but I I think it's I think it's great for the league I, I think the rest of the league is going to continue to step it up and and what Loyola did for the Missouri Valley Conference, uh, it's going to pay dividends, I hope, down the road. A lot of people were saying that they weren't going to get into the big dance unless they won the Valley Tournament. Maybe, just maybe, the committee will take a look at a team like Loyola. If they have that really good year, but they just miss in the conference tournament, maybe they'll take a second team now and, and realize that, that there are some really quality teams out there in the Valley that, Maybe they don't win that conference tournament and automatic berth, but they're deserving of a spot in the NCAA tournament. 
Over to a little bit of football with you, Gary, uh, as we wrap up here. Spring football, the spring game will be coming up Friday, April 27th. Have you been able to answer any questions? A lot of guys coming back with starting experience and starting with the quarterback position. Got back to the playoffs a year ago. Is this a team that is going to build on that 8-5 and five run from a year ago in your mind? Well, you know, TC, the first thing we got to do is you got to look at the schedule that this team is going to be asked to play again. And, you know, it's, it's year in and year out. We know how tough the Missouri Valley Football Conference is. So you know you're going to have a meat grinder of a schedule to try and play when you get into the Valley. So with that aside, when, you, when you're going to open up your season at Montana, uh, a, a perennial power in the big sky, they brought back a head coach that's led them to national championships. They're hoping to get back on track. Then you, then you have a bye week, and then you go to Iowa and play the Big Ten Hawkeyes at their place, a team you've never beat. You wrap it up at home with Hampton, a team you should be able to beat that is leaving the MEAC to be in the, the Big South. You know, it, it looks like, you know, if you do an over-under type thing and wins, if you put it at seven and a half, can the Panthers win eight of those 11? Do they only win six or, or seven? I think the big thing is you got to get enough W's to get into postseason football. Then you got a chance to do something special. As far as the team goes, there's still a lot of question marks out there because Coach Farley in this spring workouts is moving so many guys around. Hezekiah Applegate from defensive line to offensive line. Trevor Allen and Christian Jag and a couple of running backs are working in the defensive backfield where we lost a couple of really quality players and Elijah Campbell. And, and uh, you know, just the, the, they're, they're trying to figure out what they have and and what they don't have, and what spots they got to fill. So I'm anxious for the spring game just to see how some of these guys look, and we're really not going to know, I don't think, until early next fall on what Coach Farley's going to do with this personnel. I know they really like uh, Wager, the running back that came in for Purdue. He looks really good, and that may give them the the ability to, to put a guy like Jagan or Trevor Allen on the defensive side of the football to help strengthen up that secondary. All right, you mentioned the last name of Wagner. There's a certain Wagner guy uh, at Iowa. Nobody really knows yet if he's going to stay there and play football or transfer. Gary, you're on the eastern part of the state. Uh, any uh, Anything that you could gleam out of that? And let's say that Wagner says, okay, I'm out of here. Would you and I chase him? Well, I, 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 the latest word that we've heard is that he wants to stay at Iowa and possibly play for Coach Ferentz in the Hawkeye football program. But if, if that isn't something that, that works, I think there will be a number of FCS programs that will be knocking on that guy's door. The Panthers don't always go out and chase those guys, though, Jimmy. I, I think they wait for those guys to, to reach out to them and say, hey, I'm interested, can I come and take a look? And then they assess the situation now, would there be a player or two on the UNI Panther football team that knows that young man and, and maybe, you know, says something to him? I, I don't know, but maybe that's another way that you find out if they're interested or not. But I don't, I don't think the coaching staff really spends a lot of time actively going out there. They, they like those guys, I think, to reach out to UNI and say, hey, I'm interested in your FCS football program. I'm playing at this school, Purdue, whatever. Iowa, uh, can I come take a look? And then, yeah, come take a look, and we'll see if it's a good fit. Coach Farley is really particular, guys, on what Division One FBS transfers he will take. they got to be the right guy, character, 
personality and fit for the program. And, yeah, he's given some guys a second chance. Benny Sapp is one of those, and they they were really impressed when Benny Sapp left Iowa and came to UNI and talked to them. And, and Coach Farley was up front with him, said, you know, it's, it's zero tolerance. You've got to walk the, the straight line, and everything's got to be right. No trouble. And, and he was a, a model student athlete, made it to the NFL. So they've done those things, but – I think they like to have those guys reach out to them and show the interest, and then they do the evaluation from there. Good stuff. Hey, Gary, as always, great catching up with you. Appreciate you giving us some time today. Hey, my pleasure, guys. Uh, spring is here, so uh, <laughs> enjoy this good weather, huh? Spring for a couple of days at least before the next winter storm comes through. That's right. <laughs> we'll see you, Gary. All right, thanks, guys. There's Gary Ryma, the voice of the UNI Panthers football basketball. We have you covered right here on your home and way voice of UNI, 1700 KBGG. We're taking a break. Coming back, Brinson, you got to get out of here. Wait, you got a big meeting tonight? What's going on? Big meeting, big meeting for the boy here. So, you know, I got to take care of business, make sure the station stays on the air track. You know that. <laughs> <laughs> I, think, I think I know what your meeting is. I think you need to get an early run out to the bar stool and get a 7-7 seven and seven in front of you. Coming back on the other side, we're going to go from the Panthers over to the voice of the Cyclones, John Walters. Joining me is Jimmy B. Bumps out of here. Welcome back. So Jimmy B., uh, he moves away, and now it's just one-on-one time with one of my favorite people in the business, John Walters, Cyclones TV, part of the Cyclones Radio Network. Here is voice all the time, here to talk a little spring football, some back basketball, whatever else comes up. John, well, you've been here for a, a long time in Des Moines. Ever seen a spring quite like this? <laughs> Thankfully, no. Uh, you know, it's funny. You, if an athlete, that, for instance, has come to Iowa State as a freshman, they're probably thinking right now that every spring is like this, you know? <laughs> That's right. <laughs> and, and it's not. Not that they're all great, but... Um, Man, this one's been particularly brutal, and so it's, it's, when you get a day like today, man, you got to celebrate it. So I'm uh, I'm stopping to get some stuff, and we're going to cook out tonight because, man, you got to you got to at least pretend that we've had a decent spring when you get a day like this. That, that's actually a really good idea. I might have to do the same thing and get the grill out, and then well, yeah. make sure it's covered because. Might be getting snow this weekend. Uh, <laughs> the joys yeah. of living in Iowa. Well, the uh, the weather obviously wreaked havoc in the spring schedule for Iowa State football. A lot of work done indoors, but more importantly for the fan base, the decision canceling the spring game that was uh, supposed to come up this weekend. I-, I know plenty of fans disappointed. So much excitement about this team. John, can you take us into that decision a little bit and, and how it was made? It was made earlier in the week, and I think that maybe led to some people saying, can't we wait a little bit? It is weather here, but just the decision in general to shut this thing down and not have that open practice. Yeah, I think it was the right decision for sure. You know, I mean, yes, it's uh, it's nice to invite the fans up and, and to open the stadium and to have a scrimmage that everybody can watch. And I, I get the appeal of it, but the reality of it is if it's 40 degrees and raining, uh, you're not going to be seeing the best players out on the field anyway because there's no way Matt Campbell's put those guys out there and risking injury. And, and player safety has to be number one, two, three, four, and five when you're ranking the things that are most important about you know spring football and what you want to do as far as auditioning your team. It, it's got to be about player safety. So I, t- I totally understand where he's coming from on, on canceling it, and I thought, 
and canceling it early in the week was actually a good thing because it gave the fans time if they had kind of were making plans for the weekend. It gave them plenty of time to alter their plans and come up with something else. I mean, it's hard when you get close to that date, if you, especially if you're coming in from Cedar Rapids or, you know, Sioux City or something and you want to watch the spring game. Well, now you know early in the week, it, hey, it, this forecast doesn't look very good. We're not having it. And so, um, you know, I, I think if you're just running out um, guys that are, you know, at the very, very bottom of the depth chart because you're scared to death of getting your frontline guys hurt, then maybe people are disappointed anyway with what the product is. And I'll tell you what, if somebody is complaining, I sure haven't heard it very loud. I mean, I, I've, the majority of the feedback I've seen from fans is that they're, they understand this decision. And so, um, you know, if, if a fan was complaining, that'd probably be the same fan that would then complain if somebody got hurt. <laughs> right. How the heck could you risk David Montgomery getting hurt, you know, and, and, and take that risk? This was nuts to play this spring game today. So, you know, hindsight's twenty twenty, but I, I just think they did the right thing. Uh, spring football is really just that. It's just an exhibition anyway. Um, save it for another time. But bottom line is it's been a really good spring. And I, and I like what Coach Campbell said, too, about, hey, we'll make this a really productive 15th practice now because we'll be inside and we'll get a lot of work done and, and it'll be frontline guys. And, and they'll gain way more out of it as a football team than they would have just trying to put on a dog and pony show and saying, okay, well, we're going to have it no matter what. I think they definitely made the right decision. John, you mentioned David Montgomery, and I think anybody that's watched any Iowa State football knows just what a dynamic running back he is and one of the top in the Big 12 and across the country, physicality, size, speed, just everything that you look for. But uh, what are you going to expect out of Mike Warren? Going into his senior year, carries after that 1,300-yard freshman season have dissipated, and with reason because of Montgomery's emergence. But uh, what are the expectations, you think, for Warren? What could he give them in that senior year? Well, from what I've seen, uh, Mike's had a really good spring, and I'm just excited about that position, period, because it's not all on David Montgomery now to do it all by himself because uh, Mike is a guy that's had enough football under his belt, but he's an established guy. Uh, he could certainly play a role on the team next fall. Sheldon Crony is a guy that, that Matt Campbell brought up as a guy that's really emerged and had a really good spring. And Sheldon's just kind of been a guy that's been ready whenever his number is called. He came in late in that Baylor game, and you're, you know, I just still never forget that feeling when David Montgomery went down with what looked like a brutal knee injury in the Baylor game mm-hmm. at Baylor late in the season. Uh, thank God it wasn't as serious of an injury as it looked. But when he went down, as he got bent back, man, every Cyclone fan is fearing the worst. And you know, Sheldon Coney comes in there, and next carry goes 25 yards. You know, and it's like, there's a little sigh of relief of, okay, hey, the, the, the next guy isn't too bad. Um, so I, I expect him to have a really good year. Everybody's really excited about getting Kanae Wangu back, and then uh, he's the fastest guy on the team. If he gets to the edge, it's, it's really going to be a big game a lot of times for Iowa State. And then Johnny Lang is one of the shiftiest players you'll see. And so, um, you know, they've got five, in my opinion, really good options at the running back position, and it's been a long time since the depth chart went that deep in that position. So, you know, I, I feel great about Montgomery, but I really feel great about the whole position group, and, and certainly Mike Warren's a big part of that. Offensive line, this is something I think that Coach Campbell talked about right away, is building that offensive line to compete at this level. And, and it seems like it's not just that they got four or five starters that they feel good about. 
there's real depth being built along that front. There is, and it's, you know, that's the key. Can they get as deep with the offensive line as they can at some other positions? They're really deep at defensive line. I just mentioned how deep they are at running back. They've got some depth at quarterback all of a sudden. You know, there's, there's some positions where they have really, really nice depth. Can they get there, you know, with the offensive line where you at least get to the point where you've got eight guys? I, I think eight's a really good number. If you get to eight guys that you really trust, as long as they've got some versatility and some guys can move over and play guard or tackle or center, um, then, then you've got something. And I think they're getting closer and closer to that. Uh, with some native islands, you know, I mean, Julian Good-Jones, uh, a guy that is really versatile, can play any position across the offensive line, is going to be a veteran leader for that group. Uh, they loved what Josh Kniffel did a year ago in his first year on campus as a, a guy that had played one year at junior college at Iowa Western, comes from Hampton, Iowa, steps right in there and played and started every game, did a great job. They really think he can take a big jump from year one in the program to year two. Colin Newell has been a surprise, a guy that, again, is versatile, can play guard or center, a uh, kid from right here in Ames that they really are high on and they're excited about. And then Bryce Speaker continues to develop, so is no Cedar Rapids guy. You've got, you've got some options all of a sudden. Sean Foster uh, as a tackle. Uh, they like the camp that Josh Mueller has had. Uh, so there's there's some guys and there's some pieces. And the good thing about a lot of those guys I mentioned is they can play two or three positions. We've seen Meeker move around. We've seen Good Jones move around. We've, we, we know Newell is capable of doing that. So that might give you that flexibility that you need to feel better about that position group. But I talked to Jeff Myers, the, the offensive line coach, uh, before spring practice started. So the brand-new offensive line coach, even though he's been in the program and worked with those guys for a couple of years. He said, I want the five toughest guys. Just give me the five toughest guys, and that's what the spring is going to determine. And so I, I think some of those decisions are still being made, but I think some of those guys are starting to emerge, and they're really excited about the potential for growth with that group. Matt Campbell talks about the, the best position group that they have right now is the defensive line, but probably the, the fact that this offensive line group has had to go against that defensive line every day in practice has helped those guys to get better, and he feels like the offensive line as a group has made as much growth from the start of spring practice to now as any group, and that's really good to hear for Cyclone fans. So you lose Alan Lazard out of the wide receiver group, and that's going to be a hit, but Akeem Butler's right there. Matt Eaton, I thought, had a nice season his first year out of Juco ball. You got Jones. I mean, you got some speed, but... I talked to a couple people up there, and they continue to bring up Tariq Milton. What can you tell us about the speedster, the redshirt freshman from Florida? Yeah, you're right about that. I've been, I've been at the post-practice interviews. I've been at every one of them, okay? And, and so they'll ask the defensive backs, what do you think of the receivers? Which guy's tough to guard? You know, they'll ask the receivers coach who's really emerging. So there's been a lot of questions about the receivers to a lot of different guys, Matt Campbell, Brian Gasser, uh, right down the line. And almost unanimously, every time Tariq Milton's name has come up, it's come up again and again and again. So you're exactly right on that. And he's a guy that, that has really good speed and shiftiness. And, um, you know, I think having that year in the program is going to be good for him. Now I think he's ready to really step in and make a contribution. I think right now if you're going to slot him, you're probably looking at him as sharing that kind of M position with Deshante Jones that Deshante shared with Trevor Ryan a year ago. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I don't know that he's moved past Deshante as the starter there. I don't think so, but but I do think that he'll push him and he'll play a lot at that position. But I think Milton is versatile enough 
that he could play a little bit outside too. So uh, in some different formations, I think you'll see, you'll see Milton a lot. And uh, he's a guy to, to remember that name because I think uh, as next season goes on, it might not start out where he's going like gangbusters from day one, but I think as next season goes on, more and more each week you're going to be hearing his name. And I think by the end of next season, he's going to be a guy that's really a big part of that rotation and you're really counting on week to week. So along the offense, Matt Campbell kind of joked uh, the other day during his uh, press conference that he's not going to fire himself as the offensive coordinator, but uh, how is that going to shake out? And I don't know, is is there a concern? I know plenty of head coaches do that, but maybe spreading yourself a little bit too thin, calling all the plays in that. He talked about it being a team effort, but is that any concern at all to you, John? Not to me. Uh, I, I think he's really comfortable with it. I, I, I think the... Other coaches are really comfortable with it. Um, he certainly has a background calling plays. Uh, Dana Holgerson did it successfully for a lot of years. Mike Gundy did, has done it for many, many years, very, very successfully. And I mean, if, if I was going to pick a model offense out of the Big 12, that's a really good play calling and run balance, pass, run pass balance, you know, 50-50 threat from uh, from either direction. I would pick Oklahoma State over the course of Mike Gundy's time there. And, uh, and so I think there's some precedent there for other guys doing it and doing it successfully. And uh, I, don't, I don't think Matt would do it if he felt like it was, was taken on too much. But that's the side of the ball that really, you know, I think what gets undersold maybe or underreported is probably Matt's been doing a lot of that stuff anyway. You know, I mean, even in the past with Tom Manning there, I think Matt's been heavily involved in the offense, offensive preparation and the, uh, the offensive play calling. I, I don't think it's all been on Tom Manning's shoulder and all of a sudden there's this huge void where he's gone and you've got to figure out what to do to replace that. I think Matt's done a lot of that stuff to begin with. And so I don't think it's going to be some monster transition for this offense. I think it'll come very naturally. And we'll see if by fall Matt decides to put those responsibilities in somebody else's hands as far as being called the offensive coordinator. But, Really, I don't think it's going to change the way they do things a whole lot from what happened in the past or what's going to happen in the future. John Walters joining us over on the defensive side of the ball as we preview, though we won't get to see them. John will be able to see them, the uh, football team, in their final tune-up before the end of spring. Defensively, the thing that just jumps out, you look up front, not just the names that are out there, but the size, the physicality. This looks like what you'd expect a, a front seven to look for from really a, a Big 12 football team now, John. No, that's what stands out to me, too, Trent. When I stand next to those guys in practice, they're big dudes, man. They, I mean, that is that has come a long, long way. It hats off to Rudy Wade and what he's done in that weight room in the offseason to get those guys look, looking like Big 12 players. Plus, they've recruited guys with size. But, I mean, any Wazirike is huge. Ray Lima is a big dude. Uh you know, it, it, it goes on and on with that position. Josh Johnson certainly looks the Jamal Johnson. I mean, certainly looks the part. Um, it, it, it's more and more guys. Matt Leo, physical specimen, and you know, I think when we talk about depth and being able to go two, sometimes even three deep, that's the one place on your football team where you have to do that. You cannot go into a season and say, "Well, we we got to count on our ones." I can remember when Nick Leaders was a young player at Iowa State, a nose tackle. I think it might even have been his freshman year. He played like all 108 defensive snaps at, at Texas Tech one game. 
You can't do that. You're chasing the quarterback 70% of the time. And, I mean, it's just impossible uh, to do that at that position in the heat, you know. And so that's a position where you really do want to rotate uh, at least two guys at each one of those defensive line positions, if not three. And you want to have the depth to say, hey, we can go four-man front and be very comfortable with that. We can go back to the three-man front that was so effective last year and be really comfortable with that and tell guys to go with a high motor all the time because they're, they're not going to have to play, you know, ten plays in a row. So it's a good mix. I, I feel really good about what they have up front. Um, you know, certainly there were some losses there with J.D. Wagner, but, you know, Jaquan Bailey's a guy with experience and size on the edge. Uh, he might end up being Iowa State's all-time sack leader by the time he's done at Iowa State. I wouldn't be surprised if he did. Um, there, there's some guys that have been in the program, and the fun thing is they're still pretty young guys. I mean, Lima, Bailey, uh, Leo, all these guys that I'm mentioning, uh, they're not seniors yet. And so um, these are guys that are going to be there for another year as well. John Walters, the voice of the Cyclones. John, before we let you run, uh, the anticipation is as big as I can remember in quite a while. Is this the most expectations going into the season? How far do we have to go back to find a team that's probably going to have as much buzz as this, not just at the local level, but at a regional and national level as this Iowa State football team? Yeah, it's a good question. I mean, I, I think always local, I think with expectations, one thing you always find is that they're higher locally than they are nationally. And that doesn't matter if you're talking about Iowa State, Iowa, Michigan, whoever. It just Within your circle, you always feel like, hey, this could be a really fun year. And so I won't be surprised if, you know, within the program, Iowa State's expecting uh, some very good things. Outside, maybe that their picks sixth or seventh in the Big 12, like, you know, uh, which isn't a total slap in the face given the other good teams in the league, but I think their expectations are certainly going to be higher than that. And, um, you know, expectations are one thing. I, I think what, what Matt Campbell talked about is, you know, in year one we try to figure out how to lay the foundation for what our program is going to be about. In year two we try to figure out how to win. In year three we've got to learn how to deal with expectations. So whether it's internal, external, it doesn't really matter. Most of that's the pressure you put on yourself. How do you channel that in a positive way? Uh, do you still come to work the same way with that chip on your shoulder? You have to do all those things. If you start believing the clippings, that's when you're really setting yourself up for, for disaster. One thing that really encourages me in that uh, direction is that when Matt Campbell was interviewed the other day, I think it was after practice 12, they still had three left. He said they had not had a bad day yet. And he's not going to say that if that's not the case. So, I, I can say in year one when he was here in spring practice, yeah, there were a couple bad days. Uh, year two, yeah, I think there were a couple days that he would have classified as bad days. He doesn't, he doesn't feel like this group has really had a bad day yet this spring. And he also complimented the fact that spring football is much more physical than what happens in the fall when you maybe have one physical day of practice as you're getting ready in game week preparation for a game as opposed to, you know, here you're, you're practicing three, four times a week with a condensed schedule. They went from five-week period of spring football down to four this year, so they really pushed things together. And guys are getting tested physically, and so far they've stood up to that pretty well. So I think he's encouraged by that, and he feels like these guys are capable of, uh, of dealing with that, but it's something that's going to have to play itself out. And, and you, as you watch the season develop, 
if Iowa State gets beat in a game where maybe they're not supposed to, how do they respond to that? Can they bounce back the next week? That's going to go a long way to determining how su- successful this team is. Final thing, uh, John, over on the basketball hardwood as Lindell Wigginton a few weeks back put his name into the NBA draft ring. Have you heard, Lindell, does he have any workouts set up yet? Is that something that's going to be coming now that the regular season is over? How's that setting up for Lindell Wigginton? I haven't really heard a detailed schedule for what he's going to do. I'm sure he is getting some feedback. Um, we'll see what happens. You know, I, I anticipate that he'll be back, but you never know. And... Um, the one thing you can never really estimate is what's in the guy's head, you know, and how important is it to him to get paid to play basketball right now? Does he have it in his mind that I want to get paid to play, uh, and I'm okay with the idea that it might not be in the NBA, it might be in the D-League, it might be overseas. Um, if that's his mentality, then, then maybe there's a the chance that he'll be gone. But I think he's looking more for feedback, and I think there's a real good chance that he'll return uh, to Iowa State, I think there's still some things he can really get better at. Um, but there's certainly a lot of potential there. And we saw it last year when he was one of the most productive freshmen that Iowa State's ever had. Uh, so it's exciting to think about how good he is right now, but it's even more exciting to think how good that he'll be in the future. And hopefully that's in a cyclone uniform for one more year. But if it's not, then, uh, then he's made the decision that's best for him, and you take your hat off to him and thank him for the one year, and you hope he does very, very well in his pro career. But um, eventually somebody's going to be paying Lindell Wigginton to play basketball somewhere, and we'll see how quickly that happens and where it is. John Walters, thank you so much, John, for your time. As always, we'll do it again soon, and enjoy that practice. Make sure to get some nuggets for us, okay? You got it. Thanks, Frank. Appreciate it. <laughs> John Walters joining us, the voice of the Iowa State Cyclones. Always good information and a fun talk in this Iowa State football team. They have expectations. The basketball team's going to have expectations. Those expectations certainly rise up if we do see Lindell Wigginton come back. Most people anticipate that is going to be the case, but like John said, you just never know. You never know. Something could happen. You can have a great workout. You can get a guarantee from somebody, hey, we're going to take you in the second round. We're going to sign and stash you. We're going to give you a two-way deal with the G League, whatever it may be. Don't know until you go through those workouts and start talking with teams. It only takes one. One team falls in love with you. That's all that it takes. We're coming back on the other side. We'll put a cap on things. Get ready for your night in sports tonight. Last night, oh, an all-timer. A very, very good evening. This one, well, hockey playoffs are upon us. NBA's out of the picture. A little baseball. We'll talk about that at all. Get ready for your night in sports next here on Jimmy B and TC. Wrapping things up one final time. It's Jimmy B and TC. Trent Condon running solo with you. Rest of the program, Brinson. Hey, give us a strong hour and fifteen minutes, and then that was enough for Jimmy B. He's uh, probably got his saddled up to the bar stools, seven and seven in hand, getting ready for the night in sports. But I'm here with you, and uh, well, let's take a look. What's what's grabbing things for you this evening? Certainly for me, as a, a baseball guy and a Twins fan. I'll be keeping an eye on Barrios. He gets the start tonight against the White Sox. Game one of a four-game set. Be watching a little bit of that just underway with St. Louis and Cincinnati. Certainly Bears watching. We got the Yankees and Red Sox coming up. Angels are in Kansas City. Most importantly, get a chance to see, obviously, Otani making his way to Kansas City. So, pretty good night of baseball overall. Obviously, playoffs three games last night. Five will be on the docket for this evening. Uh, let's see. I, I took a future bet 
on New Jersey to win the series. You want to jump in with me, you can get a pretty tasty price in that one. So that will get a little bit of attention early on. You get Colorado, Nashville later, and then the nightcap, San Jose, Anaheim. Eh, doesn't do a whole lot for me. Toronto, Boston, Original Six. You guys know, look, I, I'm not a huge hockey fan. I enjoy the sport come playoff time. I'm not going to X and O with you. Do they even use X's and O's in hockey? I don't even know. But I'll be watching a little bit of that tonight. And uh, and then we get ready for tomorrow, a Friday, a football Friday. No, well, should have been a spring football Friday as we would be getting ready for the Iowa State spring game. Obviously, that is canceled but uh, we'll do a little bit on that and the final practice coming up this weekend for Iowa State. Hawkeyes still another week to go of spring football. You and I still a couple weeks to go as they have things spread up, spread out up in Cedar Falls. But there's always time to talk football, no doubt about it. Well, we were done for today. We will be back tomorrow. You can hear us each and every day here throughout the week starting at noon. Myself and Ken Miller, the Ken Miller Show with Trent Condon from noon until 2 then on your drive home from 4 until 6 o'clock right here with Jimmy B and TC. Enjoy it. If you miss any portion of the program, you can also find our podcast. Just search Jimmy B and TC or The Ken Miller Show with Trent Condon. Either one of those, you can find it. We had to switch our distribution the way that our podcasts go out. Because of that, there's a little bit of a gap. It'll be up on iTunes. I am promised from the fine people at Anchor.fm. That's now where we're distributing our podcast from soon, folks. I apologize, but you can find them each and every day over there as well. Back at it tomorrow. Have a good night, everybody. We will talk to you tomorrow at noon.